question that all of us will have to come to terms with at some point in our life. Who do you say that I am? And that was the turning point of Jesus' ministry. If you, if you study the, 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 the disciples' journey with Jesus, that was kind of the end of Act 1, the beginning of Act 2 of the ministry. It was upon that question, that conversation that they had, that they would march into Jerusalem from that point to begin the entire week of the Passion. Uh, Jesus asked the disciples that question in Caesarea Philippi. If you've ever uh, been to Israel, it's one of the stops on the tour, the Benaiah Spring. And what's incredible about it is when you, when you go to this place, the Temple of Pan, the whole pantheon of gods, all of these pagan temples and, and, and idols that were built there, Jesus having this conversation with the disciples who do people say that I am? Jesus saying, you are Christ, the, the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. What's interesting about that statement is, as he said this, all of the, the, the pagan temples would have been in the backdrop of this conversation. Different temples that they would worship all the different gods from the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the pagan gods. And all of them were built into the rock of this mountain, Mount Hermon. And Jesus, by, by making this statement, he said, upon this rock, not the rock of this mountain that, that one day these pagan temples will be destroyed. My last trip to Israel a few weeks ago, I actually have some of the ruins, it's either stone or marble from one of these pagan temples that was just, it's just, it's scattered in the ground in ruins. And I have it sitting on my desk at home to remind me that these pagan temples will not stand the test of time. They don't even exist today. People aren't even worshiping those gods anymore. And yet the statement that Jesus made 2,000 years ago upon this rock, the revelation that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, the Son of God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And his church is still here today when everything else had been destroyed. So it's from that moment in time that the gospel shifts and now we begin to move into Jerusalem. And they begin to make the journey into Jerusalem for the Passion Week. And they go through all of the events of the week leading into the Lord's Supper, leading into the Passover celebration that Jesus and his disciples had together. It was Thursday night. That's why we call it Holy Thursday, where Jesus sits down with all of his guys to have this last dinner. I would encourage you this week as we're moving into Easter to actually read the conversation that Jesus had that night. John 13, 14, 15, you know, 16 and 7. John records the entire conversation of the Lord's Supper, everything Jesus talked about, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the prayer that Jesus prayed over the disciples as they had that incredible experience, the Passover experience. And what Passover now is for us, the fulfilled Passover is communion. And here's what I want to say about communion tonight. Holy communion is not a ritual to be observed, but a blessing to be received. And that's what we're going to do together as a church family in a few moments, is we're going to receive communion together. And I'm going to kind of walk you through the teaching of communion tonight to help you understand it. But I really want you to understand this is not a ritual, this is a blessing to be received. I really believe when you do communion the right way, one of the purposes of communion is to bring you back to your first love. See, a lot of us, when we first found Christ, we were so on fire for God, we were so passionate for God, we told everybody we knew about Jesus. 
But something happens along our journey where we just kind of, we lose that passion. We lose that, that fire that we once had when we first found this life-giving message of Jesus. And I really believe when communion is done the right way, one of the purposes is to bring you back to the first love. So let's go to one of the clearest teachings of communion in the Bible. This is the Apostle Paul. If you've got a Bible or a phone, you can kind of flip there, click there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. It's amazing that Jesus is having this dinner knowing that in just a few short hours from this moment, he would be betrayed. He would be handed over to the Romans for crucifixion. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I think that's the key word of communion, remembrance. As I said a moment ago, one of the purposes of communion is to bring you back to your first love. It can't bring you back to your first love if you don't take time to remember. That's why I don't think it should be a ritual, something we just kind of rush through or, or hurry through. When we get together as a family, we need to take time and remember. Remember what this is all about. Remember the purpose. Remember the passion. Remember the pain. Remember the benefits of what the cross provides for us. We do this to remember. He goes on to say, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. What is the new covenant? Well, again, the, the, the Lord's Supper this night, Jesus had 12 Jewish disciples. Every one of these disciples grew up understanding what Jesus would have been talking about here. It was a prophecy from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah, centuries before this dinner, this Passover, this Lord's Supper, he prophesied about a covenant that was completely different than what they knew and what they had experienced. Jeremiah 31 describes the new covenant. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And this covenant is completely different than the first covenant, completely different than what they understood and what they knew. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. That was the law. Remember the whole series we're in right now, Law and Grace? Jeremiah is prophesying the new covenant of grace that will one day come. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, I love this, in their minds and write it on their hearts. Instead of writing it on tablets of stone, I will write it in flesh and blood. I will put it into their mind. I will put it into their heart. This is a completely different covenant. You see, the first covenant worked from the outside in. It was all about your external obedience, your external works. This covenant, the covenant of grace, is all internal. God's saying it's, it's, it's not an external obedience thing. I'm going to transform you from the inside out. I'm going to transform your heart. I'm going to transform your mind. He who the Son sets free shall be free 
Indeed, he goes on to say, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The power of the gospel is forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. Jesus says, I've come to establish what Jeremiah prophesied centuries ago. What, what you never even imagine as possible because their entire life they grew up under the old covenant, the law, the Ten Commandments, works, obedience. Jesus is now saying, I'm here to establish what Jeremiah talked about centuries ago, completely different than everything you know. How does he do it? Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, it says, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, this is after the covenant had been established. He went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not a part of this creation. So it's not the Old Testament tabernacle that Moses established. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. In the Old Testament, the high priest would have to sacrifice a goat or a calf, and the blood is what purified them and made them righteous so they could enter into the holy of holies. They could enter into the presence of God. He says, no. He goes, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. You see, he was the perfect sacrifice. He is who established this new covenant, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You and I can now be redeemed eternally. We can be forgiven eternally. We can be made right with God eternally. It goes on to say, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. That, again, is the law. It's the external. It's what happens on the outside of you. The prophecy from Jeremiah 31 is, I'm going to do this on the inside of you. This is going to be completely different than everything you know, because it's not the outward, it's the inside that Jesus came to establish and deal with. How much more then will the blood of Christ, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness? That is one of the most beautiful gifts of this new covenant. This is why Jesus in John 16, we talked about this a few weeks ago, said one of the primary convictions of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of righteousness, to cleanse your conscience, because every time we sin, every time we make a mistake, every time we fail, we somehow begin to believe that we've lost our righteousness. Somehow we've undone everything Jesus did on our behalf. So what this new covenant does, the blood of Christ, when you Focus on the blood and not on your sin. When you look at the cross and not on your performance, it cleanses your conscience from acts that lead to death because the more you focus on sin, the more it's going to lead you into death so that we may serve the living God. You see, the more you understand your righteousness, the more you understand grace, the more you understand the gospel, the more the Holy Spirit convinces you of who you are and your conscience is cleansed. You have this ability to serve God passionately, powerfully, nothing holding you back because it's not from the old covenant, the external, the outside, but it's something that God does on the inside of us. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. 
He brought the new covenant. He established the new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free. You see, under the old covenant, none of us were good enough. Under the old covenant was try, 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 never feeling worthy, never feeling righteous, never feeling acceptable. Because it was all about our performance. Now he's come to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant. I don't have to live under that covenant. What this means is we are now righteous. What this means is we are now worthy. What this means, we are holy and acceptable to God. Not because of our performance, but because of the performance of Christ, what he did. One of my favorite things that we talked about a few weeks ago is God treated his son Jesus like the worst sinner to ever live on the face of the earth. Think about it. God turned his back on Jesus. Treated him as despised and and shameful. Treated his own son who was perfect, who had never failed, like the worst sinner on the face of the earth. So that God can now treat you and I like the greatest Christian who ever lived. Think about it. Because of this new covenant, God can treat you the way Jesus deserves to be treated. You see, that is the gospel. God treated his son the way you and I deserve to be treated so that God can now treat us the way Jesus deserves to be treated. So we are righteous, we are holy, we are worthy. So let's continue with with the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup. That's what we're about to do together. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the gospel. You proclaim that it has been finished. You proclaim that we have forgiveness of sins, that we are righteous because of Jesus' death. We're not righteous because of the death of a lamb, the death of a sheep, the death of a goat. We're not righteous because we obey well enough. We're righteous because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. That is what it means to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, I grew up Baptist. This was a big deal for us. Because we were taught in the Baptist church, that the unworthy... Well, let's ask the question, how do we eat it in an unworthy manner? What does it mean to receive communion in an unworthy manner? What does it mean to eat it in a worthy manner? Like, I don't want to bring judgment onto myself. Like, I'm no fool. I want to eat communion in a worthy manner, not in unworthy manner. Well, again, growing up Baptist, we were taught that if you had sin in your life and you received communion, you were bringing a curse upon yourself. Like if there was something that you forgot to confess, like something you did and you forgot about it and you didn't confess it and you received communion, you were in trouble. You were going to get sick. You were going to be cursed. You were going to die prematurely. And I'm not an idiot. I just decided to just fake it. Like the bread and the wine would come by and I would just like, I would act like I was taking it, but I wasn't taking anything because I was not taking communion because I know there was something I forgot about. And many of you grew up in churches who were taught that is the unworthy manner. Well, again, we just heard about the new covenant. How can this be possible? 
If the new covenant means I'm worthy because of what Jesus did, not what I did, then how can the unworthy manner just a couple verses later that Paul is talking about somehow deal with my own sin and my own failures and my own performance? Paul is not talking about our sin. Paul is not talking about our performance. Paul is not talking about, again, the video we showed a couple weeks ago of the lamb being sacrifice. Remember when the, when the man who had committed sin brought his lamb, the priest did not examine the man, the priest examined the lamb. And if the lamb was found acceptable, then the lamb could make atonement and be a sacrifice for the man. The priest never looked at the man, didn't even care what the man looked like. All he cared about was the lamb. Is the lamb acceptable? Again, it's not whether or not you're acceptable, it's whether or not your sacrifice is acceptable. If your sacrifice is acceptable, then you are acceptable because it's the lamb that has to be perfect, not you. Well, the good news is the lamb was perfect. And the lamb was slaughtered on our behalf to make us worthy, to make us righteous. So Paul is not talking about you've got sin in your life, and that's the unworthy manner. So let's, let's dive into this and try to figure out what is this unworthy manner. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And again, I was taught that examine yourself means you need to you know, think about any unconfessed sin, because if you don't examine yourself and you have any unconfessed sin, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. It's not what it's talking about. It's not what it's talking about. It, it, it's basically saying, do you understand what you're about to do? Examine yourself. Make sure you've taken the time to understand what you're about to do. And he goes on to say, for those who eat and drink, so here's the unworthy manner, without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, I want you to notice it does not say without discerning the blood. It says without discerning the body. So what is the unworthy manner that, that they were bringing judgment upon themselves? They weren't discerning the body. That's what they were failing to do. They, they were not recognizing what the body was for. They understood the blood. They understood the new covenant. Jeremiah 31 spells it out. They understood they were forgiven of their sins. They did not understand what the body was for. Because the body was for something different than the blood was for. You see, communion is two elements. And each element provides different benefits to our life. The blood gives us the new covenant. The blood gives us forgiveness of our sins, righteousness. What is the body given for? Well, again, let, let's look at this word discerning for a moment to help you understand it. In the Greek, the word discerning, or, or the question is, how do we discern the body of Christ? The word discerning is diakarino. Diakarino. And what that means is to separate, make, distinguish, discriminate, or to prefer. I just want to help you understand that, that he's not lumping these two together. What they were failing to do was separating the body from the blood. They were failing to distinguish the difference between the body and the blood. They were failing to discriminate between the body and the blood. They were lumping them together. They just thought, well, they both mean the same thing. And Paul is saying, no, they don't mean the same thing. You need to diacarino. You need to distinguish the difference between the body and the blood, and failing to distinguish the difference is the unworthy manner that they were receiving communion. 
Well, last week in, in the services, we talked about the body. We didn't explain it and tie it into communion, but we read the scripture. Let's look at it again. It was our weaknesses he carried. Where did he carry it in his body? It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Where did it weigh him down? His body. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. That was in his physical body. Crushed for our sins. That was in his physical body. He was beaten physically so we could be whole. He was whipped in his physical body so we could be healed. What was the body given for? The body was given for our weaknesses. Weakness is the Hebrew word holy. It's diseases, grief, sick, sickness. His body was beaten. He carried all of this. He paid for all of your sickness, all of your disease, all of your weakness. The Hebrew word for sorrows is makab. It's physical and mental pain. Not only did he carry your diseases, he carried your physical pain and your mental pain. And then the last word healed is rafa, which is to heal, make healthy. So his body was given so that you could be healed. His body was given so that you could be made healthy, which brings the last verse in this teaching into a lot of light. Paul says that is why. That is why many, now it doesn't say all, it doesn't say 100%, so don't, 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 don't read into this more than what it's saying. He's saying there are many people, not all, but there are many among you who are weak and who are sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So the question is, what is the opposite of weak, sick, and premature death? Life, health, long life. So what Paul is saying is because you're receiving communion in an unworthy manner. And the unworthy manner is you're not diacarino. You're not distinguishing the different benefit from the body, from the blood. The blood is for your forgiveness of sins. It is the new covenant. The body is for something entirely different. The body is for your health. It's for your weaknesses. It's for your sickness. It's, it's for the rafa. It's what the body was given for because you are not diacarino, because you're, you're, you're not receiving that in a worthy manner. Many are sick, weak, and falling asleep before their time. And Paul's saying, that's not like us. Now, let me just make sure you understand. He's not saying everybody who's sick, it's because they're not doing communion, right? He's just saying many are. Meaning there are many people in the church today who are carrying sicknesses they don't need to carry. There are many people carrying weaknesses they don't need to carry. There are many people struggling physically who should not be struggling physically because they're not receiving what the body was given for. They're not acknowledging. They're not by faith receiving the power of what the body was given for. And see, here's, here's what we, this, this is why this is so big around Easter. Communion is the fulfillment of the Passover ceremony. When you study the, everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. Well, communion is the new Passover. It's the fulfillment of the Passover. Look at, look at some of the parallels here in Exodus 32, or excuse me, Exodus 12. That same night, this is the Passover instructions. They must roast the meat, that's the body, over a fire and eat it. So they're supposed to eat the body. 
Now, remember the lamb. They were to take the blood of the lamb and they were to spread it over the doorposts of their house. And that would cause the Passover angel or the angel to pass over their house and not take the life of their firstborn son. So that was instruction number one, the blood. What do you do with the blood? You put it over the doorpost of your house. But the second instruction was they were to eat the body of the lamb, eat the meat of the lamb, along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw. All of the meat has to go through the fire, meaning you can't take Jesus raw. You have to take Jesus crucified. And there's a lot of ideas out there that Jesus is just loving. He just loves everyone. He just accepts everyone. Don't matter who you are, what you do, and you don't ever have to respond to him. Jesus, that's taking Jesus raw. The reality is, is Jesus does love everyone, but he died a very brutal and a very painful death for us to be forgiven. But we have to receive the death to be forgiven. We have to acknowledge the fact that he was crucified on our behalf. We can't just say, Jesus loves that. He's just going to, no matter what you do in this life, when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to love everyone, let everyone in. No, you can't eat the meat raw. It has to go through the fire. It's got to go through that painful death. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. Now, here's something very interesting many people miss about the Passover story when they left Exodus. So the blood, that was for the angel. That's what the blood, what was, what was the eating the body for? Well, look at Psalms. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Think about this. Six million Jews leaving Egypt. And none of them were weak. None of them were sick. None of them were feeble. What is it saying? They all left with supernatural health. They all left Egypt strengthened. Why? They ate the body. They ate the body. And you may be thinking to yourself, now, you, you, that, that's a stretch. I mean, how can having a little piece of bread really bring that type of health and healing into my life? Well, think about this. Wasn't it just a little bite of fruit that brought sin into the entire world? I mean, the power of just a little bite can activate a lot in your life. And so I don't know the challenges you're going through in life, but I want to make sure when we receive communion tonight that you take time to really distinguish the body from the blood. Thank God for the blood, the new covenant. And here's what you need to know about the blood. You're worthy to receive healing. See, so many of us, we don't think we're good enough to receive a healing. Like, like somehow I deserve this sickness. Somehow I deserve this weakness. Somehow I deserve this, this affliction because of my past, my sin. My... No, the new covenant means you're righteous, you're worthy, and it means you can receive it all. Like you are acceptable to God to receive everything God wants to give you, every blessing, every miracle, every healing, all of the health that Jesus paid for on the cross. You see, when he died on the cross, he did not just die for your sin. He also died for your sickness. And we receive him by giving our life to him and asking him to forgive us of our sins. But with the same faith you receive forgiveness of sins, we're asking to receive your health and healing. And they are tied together. How many times when Jesus went around healing people in the New Testament, how many times did he make the statement, your sins are forgiven in conjunction with the healing? See, yes, these are separate things, but they go together. See, when you believe that your sins are forgiven, it brings you to a place to receive a healing. 
And that's the power of communion. To me, communion is the, is the perfect illustration of what the gospel is. We can receive the righteousness because we've received the forgiveness. It's the two substitutions. And so I'm going to ask the ushers right now to begin to hand out the communion elements. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And I want to receive this together tonight. And I really want to take a moment and have you really remember what this is all about. You know, as we move into tomorrow, Good Friday, and we begin to think about what Jesus went through, he actually began on Thursday night, what he began to go through Thursday night and would eventually die on a Friday. That you would remember And through it all, more than seeing the pain and the suffering, you would see his love for you. You would recognize how much he loves you, what he did for you. So that you could be forgiven. You know, we began the whole series, the gospel, uh, on that thought from, from Acts chapter 14. Paul heals a man in Lystra, first First healing miracle of Paul's ministry, a man who was crippled, lame, had never walked. The Bible says the same, same thing three times. Why? Because the Bible wants us to know this was a hopeless, impossible situation. It was never going to change. This is the way this guy's life has always been, and this is the way his life will always be. And Paul is preaching. And as Paul is preaching, Paul looks at this man in a hopeless, impossible situation, and he notices The man has the faith to be healed. The question was, what was Paul preaching on? Like what message could Paul have been preaching to give this man the faith to be healed? He was not preaching on healing that day. If you study Acts chapter 13, it gives you the outline of Paul's message. He was preaching the forgiveness of sins. Think about that for a moment. The forgiveness of sins gave this man the faith to be healed from something we would say aren't connected or related at all. We would say like, like him being born crippled has nothing to do with him being you know, forgiven of sins, yet they absolutely are connected. See, the power of the gospel is when you truly believe you are forgiven. That's what the new covenant is. That's what the blood is and the communion ceremony that we're about to, to receive together. When you truly believe that you have been forgiven, that you are righteous, You are acceptable. It positions you to receive healing. Over and over, your sins are forgiven and they would receive a healing. Just knowing the fact that they were forgiven, they would receive a healing. It's the power of the gospel. Has everybody been served? We still have a few more to go. As we finish passing around, just take a moment and think about, remember, just, just that, that one part of the communion center. Redo this to remember me. Just take a moment. If you already have your elements, just close your eyes for a moment and just remember. Thursday some 
2,000 years ago, the night Jesus would be betrayed. He took bread and he broke it and he passed it around to his disciples and he said, this is my body. This is my body. In a few hours from now, my body is going to carry all of your sickness, all of your grief, all of your sorrow, all of your mental anxiety, all of your depression. Every area of, of just unhealth. My body's going to carry all of that for you. And I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to pay the price so that you can receive healing, so that you can receive health. And every time you receive this bread, I want you to remember that. Every time you take this bread, I want you to remember that it is finished. It's paid for. It's done. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be a good person to receive it. Jesus only walked on water one time, but he healed people all the time. There are a lot of things Jesus only did once, but when it comes to healing, he did it all the time. It says a little bit about who he is and his desire for you. And the disciples knew that because they were with him. They saw the amount of people that were healed. His heart for people to bring health and healing and life to people. And so he said, every time you take this bread, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember it's paid for. Jesus, thank you. That you didn't just die for us, you were slaughtered for us. That your body was torn to pieces. And as it was torn to pieces, all of our sickness was torn to pieces, all of our disease was torn to pieces. The hold Satan has on us was torn to pieces that day. That he has no more right to our life. And so as we receive the bread tonight, we remember it is finished. It's paid for. We can receive all of the health and all of the healing that you want to bless us with on earth the same way we will be healthy in heaven the same way there will not be any disease or sickness in heaven on earth we pray this tonight as it will be done in heaven thank you for the bread let's take the bread together In the same way he took the cup, the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31. I'm going to do this inside of you. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are worthy. Not because you're a good person, because Jesus was a good person. Not because you earned it, because Jesus earned it. Not because you deserve it, because Jesus deserved it. That is the new covenant. But I am forgiven. I'm righteous and holy. Jesus, we thank you for the blood that was spilled. The blood of a spotless, perfect lamb, you, 
who is our ransom, our atonement, to redeem us from every wicked, evil, sinful thing we have ever done or even thought of. Every evil desire of our heart and mind, every evil action, as dirty as we feel, ashamed as we feel, <coughs> your blood makes us white as snow, cleanses us from every spot so that we can stand tonight with no shame, no skeleton in our closet that has not been washed by the blood of the Lamb, righteous and holy, acceptable, bold, confident, worthy because of who we are in you. Thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together.